It's Wednesday, January 11th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser and from Motley Fool Inside Value Joe Mager. Gentlemen, good to see you. Howdy. Yeah. We will talk treasury bonds, natural gas, and we will dip into the full mailbag, but we are going to start with a lot of car talk. Uh, and let's kick things off with the news that Ford announced a recall of 450,000 minivans and SUVs to fix defects that can result in the loss of power or cause fire. <laughs> Jason, I'm not a Ford shareholder, but I am a driver. And when I hear, yeah, this defect could cause fire in your car, I'm, uh, you've got my attention. You've got my attention, too. I'm not a Ford shareholder. I'm not a Ford uh, car owner. But, yeah, whenever you see recalls like this, it's got to make you wonder. And, I mean, you know, just go back a couple of weeks ago where you, uh, a couple of weeks ago where you saw the, the GM recall for, I guess, the potential brake disc situation, but that was 5,000 cars. Now, that that's not great, obviously. But then you look at this Ford recall, 450,000 cars. That's a lot of cars. And that just is not it's not good. Now they'll they'll figure out a way to work around it. But you know, I've, I'm trying to think. I've never even owned a car that got recalled, to my knowledge. Have you? Um, I don't believe I have. Yeah. But but I'm you know I'm not great uh, in terms of paying to the details of, of car ownership. But uh, I did own a car that burst into flames and burned down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> while you were in it. Well, I escaped. <laughs> but yeah, while I was driving it. Do you want to share what brand it was? Yeah, it was a 1980 VW Vanagon. Okay. Oh, well, hopefully they're not making those anymore. Um, uh, Joe, I was I was saying to you right before we started taping. I looked uh, right before coming in the studio. Shares of Ford are actually up slightly today. Is is Wall Street essentially numb to recalls? Yeah, pretty much. And I think the bigger issue that people are paying attention to is just the buzz coming off the show that Jason went to. And I do want to hear your take on that, Jason. But yeah, I would guess that's just the bigger issue is new product launches that people are excited about. And realistically, those are going to outshine product recalls, which, you know, for better or worse, I guess just worse, are kind of a daily occurrence almost. And not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things, unless you're talking about a Toyota, you know, Prius kind of situation that kind of snowballed into a, you know, media firestorm a couple of years ago where the brakes weren't working. Yeah, you're talking about two, you know, one of the biggest car companies in the world in Ford. And I think Joe's exactly right. We become more or less numb to those kinds of recalls because they do happen a lot. Um, I mean, we don't, I guess, really see numbers as, as big as 450,000 all that much. But I mean, again, you you see those kinds of things more often than not, unfortunately, and the, and the dealers just a lot of times they are they're they're referring to a couple of specific or isolated incidents where this has happened, mm-hmm. and so they recall maybe the whole fleet. And in this case, I think it's a number of vehicles for anywhere from like two thousand and two to two thousand and five or six or so. So I mean, it's it's a, a wide gap of time there that it covers. But when you get to the more specific auto companies, uh, something like a Prius, which is obviously developing its own brand away from or apart from Toyota. Uh, to even the smaller car companies now, like a, a Tesla or something like a Coda Automotive, where they are very specific, very small, and in one particular market, that's when a recall would really kill. Yep. Jason, uh, Joe mentioned uh, the auto show. You just got back from Detroit, the annual uh, big, I think it's the North American uh, Auto Manufacturers, uh, their annual show. Yep. What uh, I mean, there are a few different things I want to hit on, but let's just start with uh, because we're investors, we focus on the individual companies. Um, what were the companies that really impressed you? 
what were the companies that had buzz and, and what were, to the extent that there were companies that really didn't live up to expectations, which ones were they? Yeah, I mean, I think so last year when I went and it was a big theme on the rebirth of the, you know, the U.S. automakers, mm-hmm. in particular GM and Ford, and they both really knocked it out of the park and made great presentations. Uh, I think they convinced investors and consumers alike that they were back, that they were, you know, ready to tackle their issues, put out cars that people like and want to buy. And so they did really well last year and they did really well this year. It was it was a little bit more subdued. I think that the theme this year was more uh, as opposed to centralizing around GM and Ford. This was, I think, a better opportunity for uh, you know all of the automakers there to really show their goods. And the theme was electric vehicles. Uh, the winner, to me, really, the winner that came out of this show uh, that probably no one would even really think of is Korean car maker Hyundai, though. Uh, Hyundai won the 2012 Car of the Year with the Elantra, and that was announced right at the, at the very beginning of the uh, show. And so there were three cars in the running there. The Ford Focus was was one, and so I think uh, you know the the locals there were a little bit upset that Ford didn't win. But <laughs> Hyundai really walked out of that show, I think, looking good. You know what they're doing is unbelievably. And I grew up. Uh, where Honda had always been the name of just the affordable economic car to drive around. Yep. What Hyundai has done in the past few years is they have really taken advantage of some sleek design, the advancements in fuel economy technology, and they are more or less taking Honda out of the conversation anymore. And you can even see that through market share numbers just between last year and this year. Honda's losing market share, whereas Hyundai's gaining market share. So I think that was that was a real big winner. Uh, Ford and GM both, I think, did very well. BMW, I think, was another real key player there. They really are pushing that 3 Series hard, introducing their hybrid technology, a couple of really neat concept cars in the i3 and the i8. And those are the companies that walked out looking really good. The companies that walk out of there, I think I'm a little bit questionable about still, are the one-trick pony-style companies, the Coda Automotives. And for better or worse, I think Tesla still leaves a lot of questions open because they are strictly electric cars. And right now, Things are okay for electric cars. They have the backing of, of the folks here in D.C., and uh, you know they're, they're making advancements in technology there. But that can change really fast. And if they're if they're not able to adapt to that, like the other bigger automakers are, then I think they'd be facing some trouble. Uh, any wow factor? Any you know car of the future type of things? Whether it's cars themselves or gadgets that you just were blown away by. I'm really, I'm really impressed in just overall the computerization of the automobile. You know, based on the car that, uh, based on the car back when I look back to my first car, which is a Honda, incidentally, uh, to cars now, they are they are computers on wheels. So that's been really interesting to see. Uh, these shows are really good for concept cars, and the concept cars more or less are eye candy. Every once in a while, you see pretty good ones that that make it, you know, to market in some way, shape, or form. Uh, the two concept cars that really got my interest were the the Acura NSX uh, and the BMW i8, and then just uh, for good measure, you know, I went ahead and took a chance and actually sat in the uh, the Bentley Continental GTC <laughs> just to get a feel. <laughs> when, I, when I inquired about what they were going to be selling that one for, and the lady informed me that it was two hundred forty five thousand dollars, I was surprised that they didn't make me lay down a deposit to sit in it. I was going to say, did they charge you just to sit down? <laughs> I got a picture just to make sure it it would last longer. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to a couple of uh, big macro-ish stories that are making headlines today. Um, Joe, 10-year Treasury bonds are now yielding just 1.9%. Uh, meanwhile, natural gas prices hit a 28-month uh, low. Uh, let's start with the T-bonds. Um, what does that say to you, that the 10-year Treasuries are now 
yielding under 2%. Well, they both are part of a broader dynamic where people are just worried about deflation. When you look at the 10-year, I think that price is ridiculously high in the sense that bond yields and prices move in opposite directions. The price is high. The yield isn't high. Right. Yeah. Okay. So right. yield is low, price is high, and vice versa. Um, in this case, I think <laughs> treasuries are just a terrible investment, especially if you have a long time horizon. Uh, historically, if you look backwards over the last 50 years, the median yield on the 10-year has been 6.4%. And right now, you're getting 1.9, which is absolutely terrible. And if you are loading up on these, you're just... Uh, you're putting yourself in a position where you're going to be disappointed, especially when you have equities that are trading at reasonable valuations that have much higher dividend yields that will keep growing for years on end. I was going to say, when I was a kid, the, you know, treasury bonds, that's where you wanted to put your money if it was safe. You know, it's like, no, it's safe. You get a steady return. But it seems like now there are relatively safe, steady stocks you can buy that are you know, paying close to 3% yields, right? Right. Well, you've got UPS and uh, ADP both yielding near 3%. I own shares of both. Two companies with great wide moats that should be around and pushing through dividend increases for a long, long time. I just think you'd be a complete fool if you're a long-term investor thinking of this as an income allocation to be buying bonds instead of one of those guys. Um, back to the natural gas again. Prices at a 28-month low. I'm not a commodities guy, but that uh, I could be wrong. But that seems like a buying opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Well, natural gas has been drubbed for a few reasons. One is just oversupply. Uh, now that we've figured out how to produce uh, horizontal gas from horizontal wells, it's lowered costs of production. It's been great because now suddenly we have this big boom in gas production. The bad news is we've had a big boom in gas production. So. Uh, too much supply has gone against demand that hasn't really moved with it. Also, we've had a warm winter, and natural gas is just really volatile and moves based on short-term uh, short-term trends and issues. So lately, these guys have just fallen off a cliff. Now, I think that's a buying opportunity. Uh, all the more reason that you should be looking at it because natural gas is a volatile commodity. Are uh, are there stocks in the natural gas space that you think are are worth investors checking out? Yeah, and I would. Definitely stick with stocks rather than actually trying to dabble in the underlying commodity. Um, two that I like and I own shares of one is Ultra Petroleum. Another is Range Resources. They're both low-cost producers, so it's cheaper for them because they have great uh, reserves that they've owned for a long time to produce than a lot of their rivals. So they can stern, still turn a profit at a lower price relative to other competition. And I think they're a great way to ride out what will be an eventual recovery in natural gas prices. Let's dip into the Fool mailbag. You can always drop us an email, radio at fool.com. It's the email address. In response to our conversation yesterday about Hostess, the maker of Twinkies, uh, which is filing for bankruptcy, from Reese Ferguson in Idaho, he writes, It's good to get my daily fix from The Motley Fool back on my iPod, but I have to feel sorry for all those listeners who tuned in who have a weight loss resolution in 2012 just to hear you guys talking about Hostess. (laughs) Luckily, my resolution this year is to come up with a good resolution for 2013 and stop procrastinating. If I had to pick a favorite Hostess product, it would be the Chocodile, a Twinkie covered in chocolate, the only way to improve the Twinkie. <laughs> However, I would have to carefully consider the Zinger if in choosing the Zinger I get all the available flavors, vanilla, chocolate, coconut, and I don't have to pick just one flavor of Zinger, diversification to help minimize risk. I like that Reese 
is really applying an investment thesis to his choice. Diversification of- <laughs> is important. Says, I think he's put more thought into his host's portfolio than some put into their actual financial portfolios, which is considerable. Uh, Jason, uh, you weren't here yesterday when we were talking about hostess, but I know you're a, you're a hostess fan. Do you, ha- sure, do you have like man. again, if they're they're going bankrupt, they're not going out of business, so it's it's not really the scenario where we have to stock up. But if you had to stock up on just one snack, what would it be? Yeah, I guess I remember all those names like Twinkies and Ding Dongs. Ho-Hos. Yeah, Ho-Hos. But uh, the one that I – it always comes back to me is Snowballs. You remember those, the Snowballs? I think they sure. they're pink, like big fluffy marshmallows. And, yeah. You know, it, it takes me back to that episode of Cheers where Woody says that's his favorite and he says because they're bite size, <laughs> and he sticks the whole thing in. Yeah, I was going to say, those things are huge. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like you bite in, you're just like biting into a sponge and it just pops right. They never lose their shape. I think they're really good. Uh, yeah, go Snowballs. Uh, before we get away, I have to uh, put in a plug for our summer internship. Uh, the folks in our HR department asked me to mention this. Uh, you can go to jobs.fool.com. You have to apply by January 15th. Uh, we're looking for college students. So um, if you know any in the greater D.C. area or any who want to spend the summer in the greater D.C. area, The Motley Fool is looking for interns uh, in our investing group, editorial, marketing, our tech department. Uh, just go to jobs.fool.com. Uh, that's jobs.fool.com. Apply by January 15th. Uh, if uh, maybe you've got a kid or a niece or a nephew or just some young person you know who's interested, have them check it out. Uh, Jason Moser, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.